And hunks, we got a new episode of Hardcore Honeys flying in. As per usual, we have our hard-nosed debater in Jade Auxiliary Things Johnson. And we got a new guest here today. We got Shay Vassar. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, perfect. Shay Vassar and your usual loudmouth moderator, TJ, trying to just steer this ship. So, how's it going, Shay? Doing pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you just kick, kicking it today on a... Saturday. Saturday, you know, we've had basketball every day for the, what, last, like, two weeks? So I can't really complain about life. Well, that's that's a positive way to look at it. Yeah. Um. So just a little bit so we can get to know you basketball-wise. Um. Like, who's the team that you're loyal to? I am 100% loyal to the Oklahoma City Thunder. That um, is my team. Is it – were you a Seattle fan beforehand or – so I actually grew up in Oklahoma and I grew up not having any kind of pro team. We had the, uh, I think triple a or even double a baseball team. And that was the closest we had to pro sports other than university sports, which are a huge deal, especially football there. But we waited and waited and waited. And so when Oklahoma city moved there, it was kind of a no brainer. I was a basketball fan. Oh, well, perfect. So then Who's your favorite player today? Is it someone Ooh. on OKC or are we thinking some other team? We got Russ, Katie. Yeah, I'm like pretty loyal to Russ. He's still my favorite player to watch. It's funny because I don't like Houston still. So I kind of root against Houston, but then I'm like, oh, but Russ is on that team now. So then I root for him, but then I'm like, but you're in red. You're not supposed to be in that jersey. So it's it's still really mentally not a, a thing I'm I'm processed. Well, we're going to have some questions a little bit later about your OKC team. So, Oh, great. Yeah, we're going to have – I got some things to break down because we're going to talk about their games a little bit, but then also just with the teams and stuff. Shay, did you have anything to plug? People want to follow me. I'm on Twitter most of my day, so you can follow me at just Shay Vassar, which my name is a little weird, so I'm going to spell it out real fast. It's S-H-E-A-V-A-S-S-A-R. And yeah, I talk a lot about basketball, movies, and other stuff. So pretty much what we do. Yeah, uh, basically. Yeah. <laughs> what this podcast is, it's something basketball, and we just get into random stuff. We get that extra chewy fat with our episodes. <laughs> Thanks for that picture. Yeah. <laughs> So I already broke down a little bit of what the episode is going to be this week. It's a little bit more of a traditional episode in the fact that it's going to be more about the teams and breaking down stuff. It's not like how we usually come up with our own ideas with it all. So some of the other questions we're going to have is there's some roughing issues and questionable stuff that we have. So we're going to dive into that real quick, too. And then after that, we're just going to do our usual just random talking and having fun with it. We'll start off with you, Shay, since you are the guest of the day. We're going to talk about, so the Blazers and Rockets had a big game, and Blazers won. Are they impressing you, uh, Shay? I would say yes. I mean, that game, I think what's interesting right now about the NBA is a lot of the teams are starting to rest some of their key players, so we're not really getting a full look at how, say, they were to meet in the playoffs somehow how they would actually perform. But the Blazers are still a team that 
I don't hate, which says a lot, uh, <laughs> but they are really impressing me. I mean, Damian Lillard is always someone that will go out on the court. He is the glue to his team. Even when he's having a bad game, he doesn't allow that emotion to affect the rest of his team, which is really cool. Because uh, a lot of players aren't like that, where if they're having a bad game and they're kind of the team leader, that affects the rest of their teammates and then they suck. But the Blazers seem to not be falling into that. And Damian Lillard is just, I think he's really cool. I kind of wish that the way Mello was performing today and and this this rest of the season is the way that he was performing when he was in Oklahoma City because he's hitting shots that he should have been hitting when we had that big three and we were like, oh yeah, Carmel Anthony's going to be with us. And now I'm kind of upset with him, but Blazers are looking good. You're liking the Blazers. So going with the mellow comment, Jade, I got to ask, do you think mellow's importance is similar to say when my Timberwolves got Derek Rose and like the veteran player that was able to step up is mellow kind of that kind of player right now where it was a guy that was kind of getting passed around. No one really knew if he could actually be the player of use. And now Portland was like, Hey, we need help. You know how to do things at least remotely. Um, Mellow's always such an interesting conversation for me because amidst that whole time when he did not have an NBA home, I was one of those people that was like, no, he doesn't deserve to be in the NBA. And it's not because he can't play. It's because he has an attitude problem. He's had an attitude problem everywhere he's played. That's part of being a professional on a team sport. Like that is part of your job to work with the team, to do what the team needs you to do. And so like, I'm glad that he finally has made that adjustment so that he can be helpful so he can be useful I don't know that I see him as that veteran in terms of leadership. I still kind of feel like he's just out there to get buckets, which is fine. That's what they that's really what they what, all that they needed from him. But when I think about Derrick Rose, I think of him more off the floor and on the floor. Whereas with Mello, I really just see need some buckets. All right, let's put in Mello. And I mean, he's coming up with some defensive plays too that I'm just like, what? Who is this? Like, I don't know who this person is. This has never happened before. Right. So that's that's what I would see as the difference between your your example, Derek Rose and Mello. Mello is is doing exactly what the team needs him to do, but I don't think I don't think he has that veteran leadership thing that we tend to associate with a lot of players who have been around for as long as he has. Yeah. When I saw Mello stepping up that game, that made me. Reminded me of the Denver days that I loved him then. So switch over to the other team they're playing. So Rockets have been hot and cold right now. I'm checking up their record. And they're they're three and one, but they have a little bit of a more difficult schedule to finish up everything. Um, Shay, who needs to step up more? Because you have James Harden doing it all. Russell Westbrook still doing doing things, but there's not too much else going on. So who is a player that needs to be stepping up or as a team, what do they need to do to get past the uh, in the playoffs? Let me bring up the roster real fast, just because I would say one thing that really bothers me about the Rockets is the fact that they do depend so much on James Harden. Because again, when you have a guy who, when he's on, he's hitting every three pointer. I mean, he is putting up numbers that are crazy. And I mean, he's going to, make records that 
probably we won't see surpassed for the next couple of decades. But when he's off, his numbers are atrocious. And and they don't really have another score. I mean, again, I, I hate to bring it back to OKC, but it's like we're seeing Russ kind of take a step back on taking three-point shots that he can't make. And in a way, that is helping the Rockets utilize uh, their ball movement because he's not wasting their possessions. Um, So I do like that he seems a little bit more channeled through, like, with the Rockets rather than at OKC where he was the main playmaker. But I really do think that Harden as hard. I mean, I've been really hard on James Harden. I, I'm not the biggest fan. I think he's a crybaby. I think every time he gets a foul, he makes the exact same faces and does the same thing with his hands. And it really drives me insane. And I have seen him stepped up in this bubble where he is actually doing defensive moves that I have not seen him do. So what you were saying about, you know, who else do we need to see? I mean, I would love to see more from Jeff Green. I think Jeff Green, again, when he has the right support, he is really efficient. I've been kind of impressed with Austin Rivers on this team. Again, I want him to grow more, but I do kind of feel like he's like, oh, well, I'm no longer under my dad's wing. So I would love to see him embrace that and to really, you have some of the best people in the league to learn from. So it is interesting seeing this Rockets team. I I wouldn't say that they're they're doing bad, but I just wish that they were more efficient in their playing overall. Okay. He, I think that's a really interesting comment because I think that lack of efficiency is directly related to Harden being so ball dominant. We talk about this a lot. Like your opinion of Harden fits in perfectly with us because Taylor and I both, we feel the same way. And my thing is always like, people are like, oh, Harden can score 50 points, blah, 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 blah. Great. But when Harden scores 50 points, the rest of his team has to take this big step backwards to allow that to happen. And that's why I don't think as many points as he scores, he doesn't play winning basketball because he can never get consistency out of the other four guys on the floor because they don't know how often they're going to get the ball. They're not going to be ready to get the ball all the time because Harden's going to dribble 10 million times before he puts up a ridiculous three point shot. Like, it's not good team basketball. He's going to have, like you said, he's going to have lots of records. He's going to have no rings. Because I'm, I'm looking at this Houston team right now, 29th in assists. And you're, like, you're yikes. And ah! I'm, looking, I'm looking at the rest of the team. We They only have one player that's listed as a center on the team, and that's Tyson Chandler. Who, so PJ Tucker's not even listed as a center. No, he's not. Even though he's been starting at the five. But right. everything else, it's just, we got, yeah, tiny people, tiny team. Well, uh, and I think that small ball can work if you are truly passing the ball, if you are utilizing, because small ball usually means you have quick play. It's quick play. But like you said, Jade, like Harden isn't do- allowing that to happen. As he stands there and dribbles and then the shot clock goes down, he shoots it, misses, that's that. So. Yeah, So, Jade, if the three-point shot isn't dropping, does Houston have anything else? I think they probably do, just by virtue of the fact that all of these dudes made it to the NBA, right? They all have to be decent basketball players. And I think, again, like, I sound like such a broken record when it comes to Harden, but I'm, 
I'm sure about this because his style of play does not work with team dynamics. All of those players are not getting the opportunity to be as good as they could be. I've seen games where I can't remember who it was, but it was this season. It was earlier in the season and Harden didn't have a particularly good game. And a bunch of other guys stepped up guys that don't usually have double digits. And I had this argument with a bunch of, of Houston fans on Twitter and said, listen, if Harden held on to the ball less, these guys could be doing this every night. They would be harder to stop in the playoffs. Houston is the easiest team to stop. All you got to do is shut down Harden. That's it. That's the whole strategy. Because nobody else is prepared to fill in. <laughs> nobody else is prepared to fill, to fill in if you are able to stop him. They don't have the team chemistry because no passing is happening. They don't have the preparedness to be like, okay, I have to step up tonight. Nobody expects to have to step up. And if Harden's bad, like Shay was saying, they don't have anything else to fall back on. They're they're a one-trick pony. I tried to think of other Dan Tony teams that were like this, and I think of his Phoenix team, and even they had then eventually other playmakers that could do something if the, their speedball wasn't do it, but... I think this is the last year of that Houston team. I'm going on record with it. Um, so, yeah. We're going to have to revisit that. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to No, you can mark it. Because... <laughs> um, okay. Um, I want to go into one of the next uh, games and just the teams. In It was Indiana versus the Phoenix Suns. Okay. Shay, what do you think of the Phoenix Suns being the last team that is undefeated and is actually having a legit playoff run. Get to that ninth seed. I will lie. I was not expecting really to hear their name a lot and in this bubble play. So hearing that they're doing well has made me turn on more Suns games. <laughs> because now I'm like, oh, I mean, they have, you know, some nice pieces to the puzzle there. Don't get me wrong. But I just didn't expect them to be a contender. I mean, I kind of expected Portland to take that eighth seed, especially right away, and the rest of the teams would just kind of fall back. Uh, I actually thought that uh, New Orleans was going to do a lot better, too, so that would kind of shadow over the Suns. But New Orleans isn't... What I expected for New Orleans, I'm seeing with the Suns, in a way. And they're a fun team to watch because they, they do have Devin Booker, who is so energetic. And talk about the ability to kind of stay calm and, and be efficient in some of that gameplay for being such a young player. It is, it's a natural skill he has that even older veterans in the league have not accomplished completely. I mean, we even talked about Mello. I, I think that that is something that Mello really never knows when to turn it on, when to do certain things. And it seems like Booker knows when to, to turn it on and and score points. And so that's obviously what we want in basketball. So I, I've been really interested. I, it was interesting to see them play against the Pacers because I always like watching Oladipo, but Booker was the one in that game that really stood out to me. And the, the Pacers were just kind of a sad team. And in no way do I really think the Suns are, are going to get the eighth. I do think they'll get the ninth and now they have told us that we should never ignore the Phoenix Suns so that when next season starts again, we know that they're ready. And I hope that they continue to use the energy that they've they've shown us to build a better team for next season. So I got a question then for you, Shay. 
are they keeping Booker? <gasps> okay, I have thought about this because <laughs> the buildup for that. <gasps> I know because <laughs> the thing about Booker is you throw Booker on a on a team that again. We're bringing it back to Houston. If somehow Booker was to be acquired by someone like Houston, would they be able to to utilize him correctly? Or do they have too many egos? And I think right now we have a lot of ego teams. So I think it kind of depends on where Booker went. If I were him, I would personally want to stay at a team where they could build around me as a team player. But you never know. Basketball sometimes doesn't work like that. It's all about... You know, I just hope he doesn't try to go to, I don't like the Knicks because that's a team that won't ever be saved. But well, you know where his friends play? Minnesota. Oh, boy. Friends playing in mini. (laughs) They play in here. Garnett's trying to buy the team. It's coming. It's coming. How how is Minnesota going to afford Booker under the salary cap with who they have right now? We have. Well, okay. We have James Johnson's salary going off this year, which is like... That's not enough. And then also, one thing that was holding the Timberwolves back was, since we had ended Thibodeau's contract, we were still paying him the ridiculous amount of million dollars that we had promised him. But that's outside with the salary the cap. What? The coach's salary doesn't work into the salary cap of the Let players. me damn finish there. God, Jade. So he doesn't have... They don't have to worry about... The, we don't have large contracts besides cat and D'Lo. everyone else that is important to us are cheap contracts that are still lasting us for a couple years so mm-hmm. we can give him a chance we can give him if we do a trade that's the only way we're going to get him is a trade but we have nets they just lo- they just locked in a place in the playoffs um we get their pick now and then we have our first we have our lottery pick too and uh, Rosas doesn't really plan on keeping them. He plans on doing a trade with them. So if that's either with uh, Culver, our rookie from last year, who is really promising at times, we could do a trade doing that and then throwing in James Johnson's ridiculous contract for Booker and then some other piece. Yeah, I can write an article on that, but we'll move on from that. Um, yeah. Clearly you've spent a little bit of time but, on that. You know, I, but- I, <laughs> but, so I'm going to uh, switch over to the uh, Pacers now. TJ Warren, is he MVP bubble worthy, uh, Jade? Because he's been he's been one of the best standouts. He's one of the tops for averaging right now points in uh for the overall tournament or the bubble play at least. Like if we're just taking this small stretch, would you at least put him at MVP consideration? I guess I would put him at consideration. He's not the player that has jumped out at me in terms of kind of overperforming. I shouldn't say overperforming, but like really standing out in the bubble. For me, that has been Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Has been my standout in terms of like, okay, where did this come from? He's had, I think he had two, he had back to back 30 plus point games in the bubble. Like that's, that's hard for me to, to put anybody over. And I haven't actually had, I haven't actually watched the Pacers uh, in since the bubble started, so okay, because we will be getting to Michael Porter Jr. in a second, so thank you for bringing that up. But Shay, have you been able to check out much Indiana ball? No, I only saw that that Suns Pacers one again because it's like the Pacers were just not on my radar. Because I was just curious, 
of what you know of the team, Shay, of like who's playing, are they probably one of the best balanced teams overall? Just because like Depot's still trying to get back to his health. They don't have Sabonis and they're still playing well. So like overall as a team, is that one of the more balanced teams? I would say yes. And I mean, I, hold on, let me, let me look up their roster. I'm like, how many names do we have to know to be NBA fans? Seriously. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, if you go by Shaq, you only have to know the stars. So, <laughs> how many are in the bubble? Like 400. So, um, so they got TJ Warren, Aaron Holiday, Depot, Brogdon, Justin Holiday, too. You got McConnell, Sponus isn't playing, McDermott, TJ Leaf, Jeremy Lamb, Miles Turner. And those are the guys that are just playing. There's playing, right? These are the ones See, that are playing. That's- Hearing that list is so interesting to me is because I'm hearing all these names I recognize and still Indiana is like, yeah, I guess they're a team in the bubble. Exactly. And I don't know why I don't give them the benefit of the doubt. And again, because I do like Oladipo, but I think maybe also because he's like still recovering. I'm just like, okay, Pacers. The secret, I think the secret player that's helping them through it all is Malcolm Brogdon, one of the most underrated players in the league right now. But that's my take with that. Jade, were you going to say something? I just think I think the Pacers are a few seasons and a couple pieces out from being truly relevant. Like they're one of those. They're a solid team. They're never going to be an easy win for anybody. But at the end of the day, they're just like, yeah, they're one of those teams in the Eastern Conference. They're not. They're not bottom of the playoff conversation, but they're not going to be top of the playoff conversation. They're just like that middle of the road team that might be there for a few seasons until somebody decides to make a move with them. Right. Yeah, that's a good point with that. Okay, so we're going to switch over. So, Shay, this is going to be your forte. So we're going to be doing the OKC and the Grizzlies play. So I got some uh, that I watched too. Um, Got some questions. Shay, is Chris Paul... MVP candidate worthy? I, even as an OKC fan, would probably say no. Um, really? Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to undermine what he has done with the team. I think as as a team, OKC losing Russell Westbrook really dented morale overall for the fandom, for everything, to the point where we all joked on, like, OKC blogs and Facebook groups that this this hero is just going to be where we have to be loyal. And yet Chris Paul has really stood up and and filled that gap where we didn't think he would. I do think that he has done well with what he was given. I mean, again, a broken team. It's the first big change for Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City uh, since the move. And I do like what he's done with with the bubble play. I mean, a lot of this is because of his tenacity and want to start playing basketball again and bringing them all together. And, but for some reason, I just, I don't feel like he is. I, I don't know if that's just because I'm still holding some, some grudge against him for being from Houston. I don't know if it's because he is the person that traded for Russell Westbrook. I, I don't know, but something about me, like watching him, I was discussing this yesterday too, with someone is I really hate, I, I do think he's been a good mentor to SGA on the team, but I hate that he is getting so much of the credit for every good thing that Shea Gilgis-Alexander does. When that boy showed himself at the Clippers, you know, even the early games with Oklahoma City, and yet 
you listen to these broadcasts and it's like, oh, there's Chris Paul's protege over on the sidelines. Oh, that's such a Chris Paul move. Oh, look at SGA, just like his mentor, Chris Paul. And I'm like, he's a great player as he is. And it's great to have that veteran presence. But I, I think that the team also needs to be awarded for filling in and, and adapting to the the big losses that we had at the beginning of the season. So Jade, could you see CP3 being an MVP candidate? I mean, when Giannis is in the league doing what he's doing, LeBron's in the league doing what he's doing, Luka Doncic almost averaging a triple-triple at 21 years old. I could, And I could probably come up with other names, but even just those three, it's like he's not he's not on that level. Anthony Davis. Yeah. You have two like of them you, on one team. Yeah. You could go you could go on. You know, James Harden with all his scoring, even though I would never endorse that. I know people <laughs> would. <laughs> you know, so why like, Leonard? I mean there's he's he's done a lot. I've been really impressed with him and he does really great work as president of the players association. Like yes. he saved the all star game. Yeah, right. The whole Australian format was his idea, and he took it to Adam Silver, and it worked amazingly. I hope they keep it forever because the Australian game was amazing this year. Yeah. But in terms of that MVP conversation and the way that they award it, like I don't, I don't agree on a basic level with the way they decide on MVP, anyways, because I think a lot of the times in the actual definition of most valuable player to a team. Some guys on losing teams are more valuable to their teams than LeBron is to the Lakers, right? So I already have kind of a fundamental disagreement with the entire MVP conversation to begin with. So it, it makes it makes me like the least fun person to have that conversation with. Because <laughs> I'm going to be like, well, actually, you know, Devin Booker does more for the Suns than LeBron James does for the Lakers. Lakers so I don't really care who gets it because I just think the fundamental premise of how they award it is flawed oh it is so I'm pretty like I'm already like only minimally interested in the conversation to begin with just a good thing I did not mention since they came out with the finalists for everything good thing I didn't mention it this week we <laughs> just have Jade just go off randomly on some old person tangent <laughs> My day when I was watching the MVP race, it was coming from. <laughs> I'm 35 years old. <laughs> hey, I'm 27, so I mean, anyone that's older than me is old. <laughs> so, but going back to the game here and just the team. So Grizzlies, I checked out. They have one of they have the hardest schedule out of every team playing left with a win percentage of. Uh, 72%. Trailblazers, who are right below them, are, I mean, they get they got a game against the Clippers, 76ers, Mavs, and they end off with the Nets. They have a remaining strength schedule of 58%. So they have Blazer, Blazers, 66% chance of getting in. Grizzlies, 19%. Jade, do you agree with that? I think it's probably accurate. Like, Memphis... We talked about this a bunch of times leading up to it and said, listen, Memphis has to fall apart to lose that playoff spot. And then they did. <laughs> Royally. So the fact that they're, what are they? They're three and one now, right? Or one and three, sorry. They dropped yep. their first three and then they won. Last night. Uh, yesterday. Yep. And 
There's also an element for me of this would be such a Dame Lillard thing to do is to like in in the COVID NBA season manage to make that eighth spot and go on some stupid run but still not win a ring. Like that would be just such a Damian Lillard Blazers thing to do. That is just like that's probably exactly what's gonna happen. Cause so Grizzlies games left. It's against your Raptors, Jade. And then it's the Celtics, and then it's the Bucks. So you yeah, are facing the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. And these it's are, ugly. it's not like the old Eastern Conference where it was like the top two teams were actually threats. Like, no, those are three teams right there that are legit, or two are legit contenders. Celtics, I mean, best case situation, if everything goes out right, they could see themselves a title. And you have a Grizzlies team led by a rookie, as great as he is. He's still a rookie. 19 <laughs> percent that's, that's yeah it. like i i would be surprised if they even make if they make the eighth seed at this point that will be a, a large surprise that's that's a, that's for the them. win for them originally it was like oh if they move up in the playoffs that's a win from now it's oh you guys just got to make it there now yeah but i will say we talked about this on the live show on thursday that it was jv that had the opportunity to step up and he played great he played a really good game yesterday, and they talked about through the whole broadcast. So the I ended up getting the Grizzlies local um, coverage, mm-hmm. and they talked about that, how not only did JV step up, but the whole team recognized it, and they continued to play through him for the game. And he it was, it was a really good mismatch. Um, it was a really good matchup for him against OKC. It just clearly was not a great it wasn't a great game for OKC and Memphis needed it. Like they were, whenever you face a desperate team, you never know how it's going to go. There's, there's always that element of desperation can make crazy things happen in sports. And I think there was a little bit of that in the game yesterday too. Okay. Yeah. It, it's going to, man, that's going to be an interesting finishing point. That's one that we're going to have to be keeping an eye on there. Yeah. So, Going back to what Shea was bringing up about Michael Porter Jr. So the Nuggets played the Mavs the other, or they still, they're about to play a couple days, but I want to talk about them because I feel like this could be two playoff teams that we'll be seeing for a couple years now. They'll be going against each other. Um, Shea, is Michael Porter Jr., is he that secret piece for the Nuggets to actually do a deep run and get over the hump of just being a regular season team? I think completely. I I think what is really dangerous about the Nuggets is we are not even seeing where they've completely unlocked their potential because they have so many talented players and Michael Porter Jr. is just one of them. And so I really love how they have been able to to build this team and they are they are dangerous out there for sure. I think that they are impressive to watch. They're huge. So, you know, I when I watched, uh, was it the game against the Heat, which is, you know, a pretty small team, I said that they kind of looked like the Space Jam, like when Michael Jordan's out there and the Monstars are like, because they're just like so large. And, but it's it's working for them. And their, their team is just I don't know. I, I would prefer to to go against the Rockets as an Oklahoma City fan than the Nuggets, because I think the Nuggets is so much scarier in all of its ways. And I think that this will continue to grow and they will continue to get scarier. Um, 
Jay, do you agree with that one there? Or do you think Michael Porter Jr. is just kind of, he's that one star player that happens with every playoff team, but then the next year they get the big contract and it's like, oh, you're the new Bismack Biombo. That's the thing, right? <laughs> Thank you for bringing up Biz. That's very appropriate. Purposely did that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's That's kind of always my thing when a player has a breakout run or a breakout season like show it to me next season show it to me the season after that I'm having that issue with Norman Powell right now which is putting me at odds with my own fan base because people are so sold that he's going to be this amazing player and he's going to be an all-star and I'm just like he hasn't been consistent five years he's shown no no ability to consistently bring that top level play and I feel that way with every player because until you've done it until you've done it a couple of seasons in a row and then another season after that, it doesn't, it, it, it might be just that great run you had that one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That hot streak at the, at the court so, for a couple of days. And, and because Denver is West coast and I don't really see a lot of their games, I don't get to watch him to kind of see if I can gauge if he has that mental part of it where he's like, I'm going to continue to get better. Some players have that and some players don't. And it's hard to tell when you don't get to see them play regularly. Okay, speaking of players that we haven't been able to see play regularly, but we're seeing more. Jade, is Bull Bull as important as we've seen? That's the same conversation again. Like, But, like, he didn't even get playing time in the regular season. Like, this bubble play right now, like... This is the first time we're seeing Bull Bull. Yeah, and because it is the bubble, I'm just like, no, let me see it in a regular season. The 82 games, night in and night out, like... Okay, how about I'll rephrase this. How important is Bull Bull to this run that the Nuggets have right now? Uh, I have a feeling that he's going to be one of those players that... It's it's hyped because he's so likable and he's so tall and he's so this and he's so that. And like, yeah, he's had some numbers to go with it. But like, I don't know, maybe when the fan interest cools off, that slides. Or maybe he's one of those players that as soon as he has a bad game, the fan base turns on him and you stop. You know, like those things, NBA fan bases are so fickle. And especially for a young player, that's a lot to try and process and to try and play through and to try and, I mean, I always say the European and African players tend to be a little more mentally tough. I think than a, like there's exceptions to every rule because Embiid is soft and Fred Van Vliet is tough, you know, but overall I find that European and African players are a little more mature. They've had a little more real life experience than guys that came up in Canada or, or the U S and played, college ball and had an easier go of it most of the time so like I have to consider that too like you know I like my intangibles so I I just I need to see more I need to see it be consistent um is he going to be super important to Denver's playoff run this year I don't think so I think the players that they've had and that played the regular season minutes like is he going to get lots of playoff minutes unlikely 36 minutes a game minimum. Uh, <laughs> Shay, Hot I'm going to ask that same question to you. Is he a piece that's going to be important for this Denver team? I have to agree with Jade that no. I Again, it's just the bubble is different 
don't get me wrong. And there are a lot of mental challenges to get into the games, you know, and I, I do want to give that kind of, what do they call it in golf? Um, this is a basketball you, podcast. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I don't know why <laughs> golf popped in my head, but like they call it in golf when you like go out, but you're not as good or handicap. Yes. So I do want to give the players all, <laughs> I need more coffee. Um, <laughs> I do want to give the players a little bit of a handicap because like, we don't know what they're going through exactly being away from their families. I mean, yeah, they're stuck at resorts at Disney World. So, I mean, they're not in miserable situations. It could but be worse. It could be much worse. Like, if they would love to come stay in my tiny Brooklyn apartment and then complain, I would like to see that. But but when it comes to Bobo, I think the thing is, again, he's just overshadowed by the rest of the Denver team. I mean, they have gotten this far without his playing and yes when he's playing he's great but I don't think that he's going to get as much playing time uh in the finals unless they're either really desperate or really far ahead okay just because I am such a fan of him (laughs) I don't know if he's gonna be good but I'm just I'm curious on what the rest of everyone thinks with him uh one other team that I want to bring up because they played the Suns as well, and they lost because of a Booker game winner, the Clippers. How worried should the Clippers be with things? Just because a lot of times when I've watched a couple of their games, they look uninterested. I know this is just bubble play and stuff, but they haven't had a lot of consistency with their lineup, with just overall. How does this Clippers team go into the playoffs with this, Shay? I agree. They do look very uninterested. And at first I thought it was just Kawhi's, you know, demeanor. Uh, But it is across almost every player where they just would rather be elsewhere. And Lou, literally. Lou literally left it. And then it was like, I was getting wings only, you know, like. Wings and boobs. I mean, they go together, I guess. Uh, But yeah, I, I mean, even with his return, I'm like, you're not impressing me. And I get it because they're another team that had some big trades. So they're still figuring out their chemistry. And But it's just, at this point, despite the bubble play, despite the break in, in regular season, like have you not figured out enough of it to get basic wins? I mean, and again, that, that Booker game time shot was incredible. And it was so impressive to see Booker close like that. I love... I love when the underdog is able to close in such a like memorable way. Like we'll, we'll be talking about that next season, the season after, especially if he continues to grow as a player, but there's, there should have been no reason that the Clippers couldn't beat the Suns. Yeah. And so it's just, they, to me seem to be really off and, and I don't know if it, is going to be resolved. Okay. Cause that I have them winning it. And right now, like I'm biting my fingernails being like, God nuts. Um, <laughs> JD, what do you, what's your set? You know, Kawhi Leonard vaguely. Cause you met him at a party or something. He maybe won a title for it. Was you. A I don't know. Parade, actually. He, he just showed up. He crashed the party. He <laughs> helped win a beer pong tournament. And then he dipped once the beer was gone. Like, So is- here's what I'll say about the Clippers, and I'm applying this to the Lakers too. I've been saying this even before we got back to play, 
is that the Clippers and the Lakers don't give a crap about these eight games. Mm. These are a formality for them to start the playoffs. That said, that doesn't mean I don't see a problem with how both of those teams are playing because I think these eight games are going to be critical for any team expecting to make a deep playoff run to get their crap together, to get their offensive go- their offense going properly, to get their defense flowing correctly, to get the chemistry right. And I think that maybe both the Clippers and the Lakers are suffering from a bit of hubris that might come back to bite them in the butts, where they're like, we got AD and LeBron, we've got um, PG and Kawhi, we're good, right? Like, this doesn't start for us till the playoffs. And I think they're developing some bad habits in that. And I think the other teams that they're going up against have it in their heads like we have to get through one of these teams and we're going to be ready and i think the lack of that i'm seeing a lack of that mental being mentally locked in on both of those la teams like they're they're kind of living up to that west coast everything easier chill exactly and i would not be surprised to see them either one get upset in the first round or the second round either of those teams, or two, look really bad for a couple of games in the first round, and then the veterans be like, okay, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. LeBron and Kawhi kind of turning it on. But I think it's I think it's silly that they're not coming with that intensity, that they're not, that they think they're just going to be able to turn it on. Like, I understand that in a regular season where there was no break, when you're still playing games, every couple days right up to the start of the playoffs. But having had all those months off and only having eight games to get going again, both of those teams are leaving me looking like, I don't know, like if I was, if I was fans of theirs, I'd be a little concerned. Like watching that Raptors game against the Lakers, I thought I called that a loss for the Raptors when we did, we did um, predictions of the eight games on the Raptors Queens podcast. And I called the Lakers a loss, and it was an easier win than I was expecting, even as as it turned out. So I think both of those teams have to get their crap together in the next couple of games, or they might be they might be looking at some some deficits in the first round of playoffs. Because well, I'm seeing, so they're second, and then right below them's Denver, just two games back. Clippers have a little bit harder schedule, and they have three games left. Denver, a little bit easier than theirs. They still got four games left. So there could be a switch at that two seed. And yeah. if you're Denver, I don't think you'd want to be playing OKC. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're the Clippers, I mean, you wouldn't want to be playing OKC in this. You want to be playing that second seed in Dallas. Yeah. So I think if the Clippers drop, I think this is the downfall of it. Because then if they would win their series, I guess they would still be going up. A, yeah. But... Yeah, I think you guys are both right with I'm like I said, I'm biting my fingernails with this all. I'm by like I see the work ethic from Paul George. I'm seeing it from him. But like the rest of the team, like I'm not impressed with the Clippers right now. And it's making me quite sad. Yeah. But, but I mean, they also started the season slow. Yeah. They started all their games really slow at the beginning of the season. And I think they're confident that they're just going to turn it on. But I think that's a dangerous strategy. In, this, in the context of the bubble. One more thing I think that we should talk about and uh, that we, us three, we've all noticed is the uprising of 
calls of being hostile acts. Jade, what is the definition of a hostile act? Because I feel like the NBA is slightly confused. I would have to agree with that. Because the calls that I've seen being reviewed and then called one way or another, there's no consistency. Like in the Raptors game against the Heat, for instance, Goran Dragic got tangled up with Pascal Siakam. Dragic ended up on the floor. Siakam's up running. And Dragic literally reached out and tried to trip Pascal Siakam. They reviewed it for a hostile act and decided because it was unlikely that Pascal Siakam would get hurt, it was not a hostile act. Like, what? If your intent is to hurt someone, it shouldn't matter that they didn't get hurt. Yeah. The flagrant is supposed to be on the intent of the player. <laughs> I mean, before before the maybe COVID changed the rules and, and nobody told us. And the other thing, I'm like, when did they start using the term hostile act all the time? I don't remember that from before the bubble. It sounds so much worse than a flagrant. Right? Sounds like, like you assaulted why them. Are they, why aren't they just using that term? Or maybe they always did. The one thing I do like from the bubble is that the, the um, head ref for every game is talking to a camera. And you can yeah. actually all hear that. That needs to continue once the bubble is over. That needs to be every game all the time. And I, I'm actually surprised that nobody thought of it ever before now. But like... That needs to be forever. But yeah, I don't understand what set of guidelines they're using, one, to review them, and two, to make the calls. Because there's no consistency. Because oh, I saw an, like an accidental nut shot that uh, uh, Zoe did on uh, Ja just on accident. And they almost called the flagrant out. I'm like, that is such an unintentional, like, random act of it happening. Like, you can't control that, but... Well, then, and then in the Heat-Toronto game, there was another call that was very unintentional like that, and they did call a flagrant on it. So I'm just like, can you guys get your craft together? Like, this makes no sense. Shay, have you see, seen the uprisal of questionable, hostile acts? Well, I've seen the calling of them, yes. Uh, seeing these so-called hostile acts, I don't know if I've seen enough for them to be equivalent to what the refs are seeing, because... Kind of like what Jade was saying, I've seen some that are going completely uncalled, especially from someone named James Harden, uh, <laughs> because he does a lot of dangerous things that, again, it's potential to hurt other people. And he does it by disguising it as gameplay while also potentially hurting big people. I mean, this happened in the uh, Rockets Blazers game is there was a really dangerous shot that he took that really could have hurt Damian Lillard and it went unnoticed, but Twitter was ablaze with it because it was like, this is obviously purposeful aggression to hurt a potential, you know, and we'll, I think we'll see some of this as, as it continues, but there, even if it's not called as a flagrant, I've seen the amount of calls just ridiculous. I, I feel like the games are lasting so much longer because they are calling and reviewing and, you know, it's just kind of an, no, it's not kind of annoying. It's really annoying because I want to watch basketball because it's fast-paced and the games that are happening are a lot longer. They're stopping every couple of minutes. You know, the amount of free throws is kind of ridiculous as well. And I get that that's part of the game, but, like, that's not the main reason I'm watching this game. It is to see 
the the skill set and the aggression that is utilized correctly. So don't call that a flagrant when it's part of the game. I I don't know. And so my question then is, um, so they always say the league is soft for players. That also lies on the refs. So my question is for you, Jade, since you were a bad boys fan for a little bit, um, is it the refs or the players actually that are making this league soft? Because it's they're they're the ones calling it. Yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of a chicken and the egg conversation, right? That the players start complaining, and then the rest started feeding into that, and now the rest are feeding into that, so the players are expecting it. There's also an argument to be made that it's Mark Cuban's fault because he spent a lot of time reviewing tape and sending letters to the league. The la- there would be no last two minute report if Mark Cuban had not been in the NBA. That was basically created to be like, okay, we need to shut Mark Cuban up. Let's find some way that we review everything. And so everybody can see transparently what the refs missed and the calls that were correct in the last two minutes of games. Um, So I think there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of elements that go into it. The league also, because Steph Curry came on the scene and started scoring like crazy and definitely rules were adjusted to make that easier. Right. The casual basketball fan likes lots of points. That's why there are so many James Harden fans in the world. A little bit more discerning basketball fans. I want a close, low scoring game because that means ball was played on both ends of the floor. Or there was just a bad shooting night. Well, there's that too. (laughs) But for the most part, that like think about just the difference in what a final game score can be in today's NBA compared to like you were talking about when the bad boys were playing, we're talking 30, 40 more points a game than what a a final score would have been back in the late eighties and early nineties. So I I, I think it's a lot of elements that are kind of piling up on each other. I mean, the three point game has gone up a lot since the eighties. So that's another thing. I mean, when you're only taking nine in 1989 to 39 in right but also the rules and how the game is called has facilitated that would we see as many three-point shots if there wasn't the rule about where you stand when the the shooter's coming down or like there's a there's been a few different rules that have contributed to making it easier for there to be more three-point basketball and even i don't think this i think it was last season so the 2018-19 season, there was that spot that I sure we, I'm sure we all saw where it was all different people saying three-pointers or dunks. Yeah. Do you remember that? that it, was, it was an NBA piece. And it's mm-hmm. like, this was not a question even eight years ago. Dunks were more exciting than three-pointers. And it wasn't close. And it would have been a silly question to ask. Yep. But today they can make like a 45 second spot with all these celebrities and random people weighing in to say whether or not they think dunks or three pointers are more exciting. So like, I just think it's a lot of different elements that have have played into it. Okay. Well, I want to throw that question over to Shay then. Is it chicken or the egg with it? Or is this something that the league's been doing more the accommodating for the players? I would say it's chicken and the egg and I would agree that it's it's definitely if you've watched the way that basketball has progressed even in the last decade we do reward more of the three-point shooters than we do people who are aggressive to get to the 
the basket. I think that we're seeing that even not only with the way that calls are made, but by what is celebrated. I think with the super teams, like celebrated with the idea of the Warriors. Why were the Warriors so celebrated? Because they were the first ones to really facilitate this. They don't have to go straight to the basket. They can shoot three-pointers and they they are impossible to get in their minds with that that whole defense. And so when when that started transitioning, we saw less of of the player that was awarded for getting through incredible defense to slam that ball through the the hoop or you know to do those I, my favorite plays will forever be the ones where it's usually you know the forwards that throw it up and someone slams it because it's like not only did one guy get through the other team's defense but two guys to the point where they are so in tune with each other that they are able to complete that play and we see less and less of that every season and it makes me really sad because I love, I love that. I love that play. I love that aggression and it's, it's just becoming less and less. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't love three pointers. I mean, they're cool. And I like when they go in, like, don't get me wrong. Uh, like, yeah, let's win basketball. But at the same time, we're just seeing less of say, even the way that Shaq used to play because we don't need big guys that can get through and no one can hold them down until they're at the hoop, we need more of the, the skill shot from, from the behind the arc. So, okay. One more question, but if you go fast break, this is going to be for you, Shay, because Jade and I have already discussed this. Oh, play no. before. Okay. I'm ready. Sh- Shaq. How talented is he? Take the domination out, take dominating out. Cause he was too strong. That's why he was so good when it comes to just having abilities where like where do you think with him because when i think of someone that had good post moves and stuff i think of like tim duncan kevin McHale, something like that Shaq would just post you up and then dunk over you what is your take with Shaq? my thing with Shaq is if he had worked a little harder we would be talking about him more the attitude problem that jade brought up about carmelo anthony i think is a very similar attitude problem that Shaq had and the idea that they run on talent which obviously their talents are very different but they they are parallel in the sense that neither of them really wanted to work hard and Shaq relied completely on his his girth size yeah like his complete you know and and everyone thinks it's so impressive that when he's you know he's broken a couple backboards and stuff and that is really cool like we don't see that a lot and we have some huge guys in the league now and they're dunking a lot and we're not they're not breaking backboards but at the same time Shaq never adjusted his game or worked hard or you didn't hear about him going you know doing extra practices or working on any kind of he just did the bare minimum and got away with it so I think he's he's athletic and he has a lot of natural athleticism that we can still talk about. But I think he's lazy and he was lazy because I remember his last year in L.A. um, for the last two years, his big issue was he had just like stopped working out and he gained so much weight. Yeah, it wasn't muscle like he got super chunky and then he went to Miami and then he lost a bunch of weight. But okay, yeah, that was just we Jade and I have had this discussion about Shaq. Yeah. I love Shaq. Dominant? Yes. Skilled? Meh. But, <laughs> but this is also coming from someone that's 6'1", 6'2", and he has confidence. And, uh, yeah. So, all right. That was just something I wanted to get out of the way. So, 
think we've done a pretty solid share at getting all our thoughts and opinions about what's going on with the bubble. And we'll swing it over to the fast break. Fast break today is presented by PropMe. PropMe is a social wagering platform catered to the everyday sports fan. It has peer-to-peer betting marketplace for social wagering. It's an all-sports betting platform that includes eSports, a company that leads in social wagering innovation. Join PropMe on the Google Play Store or Apple App Store today. Sign up and join the movement. Okay, so we got that fast break time coming up. So, Shay, we're going to start with you. Since we've seen the big ball with um, Denver and then the small ball with Houston, which one are you rolling with? I'm going with Denver. You're going to go with what one? Denver? Oh, Denver. I think it's more impressive to see a bunch of big guys run around and do it efficiently. All right. Jade, big ball or small ball? I have to go with big ball because I don't think Houston executes small ball properly. If they were doing that really good ball movement, the dribble penetration to kick it out, the swinging it around to get the open shot, that would be really fun basketball for me. But the way that they play small ball for me is just so boring. That's I, I was I was assuming that was going to be at least your pick, Jade, especially since Raptors can do that big ball and it works out perfect for them. Yeah. So yeah, just had to make sure. Just check with that. Okay. <laughs> Second question going with you, Jade. Since different times we're having day games and night games, what do you prefer? Oh, night games. Like the later, stuff. the better. I'm such a night owl. Like bedtime. If I'm in bed before 2 a.m., that was like that was an early day for me. So that's why I'll get Slack messages from <laughs> you at like one o'clock in the morning. I'll be like, "What in the hell does she want?" <laughs> hey, you have a do not disturb function. I am not taking true, credit. True, for that's that. on me. But, <laughs> but okay, Shay, do you prefer the night games or day games? I am 100% a morning person. I'm up by 8 o'clock every day, and I love those early games. So you like early games now? Okay. Yeah. I know. It's weird, but hey, I like them. That's fair. I mean, that's that's why I'm asking it. We're trying to figure it out. The re- we're trying to get to the real information here, Shay. We're getting real <laughs> info. Okay. Last question for the fast break this week. Shay, we'll start with you. We got a bunch of new meme players. Are you going to go with Taco Fall? Or Bull Bull? I'm going to go with Bull Bull. I do, again, I, I have a soft spot for Denver right now, and I would love to see him be really good. That's okay. that. Um, Jade, you prefer yourself some Bull Bull, or you get some Taco Tuesdays? So I'm going to have to go with Bull Bull as well, but mostly because he does not play for a team that's about to be the Raptors' rivals for the next two or three seasons. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair with that. I think I'd have to go Bull Bull, too, just because I loved his dad. I loved Manute Bull. Good dude. R.I.P. Okay, so got that all set for you today uh, for everything. And, guys, check out, follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Keep up to date. Look out for our Thursday's live stream. Uh, Jade, have anything to add about us HCH people? We sure do. So make sure you tune into our live stream on Thursday this week. We have some big things going on. We're going to have a few announcements along with our usual NBA hashtag NBA Twitter tomfoolery. 
So uh, make sure you check it out every Thursday live at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. Well, you heard the honey. I think we've done a fairly solid job. I think it's time for us to watch some basketball now, though. So take care, fans. Take care to both of you. Peace out.